joining us for Pet Chat this afternoon is Dr. David Tabrit. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? G'day, Colin. Good. Oh, that's the way. Very and good to Cheryl Shaw, hello. Hello. It's nice to be here, Colin. Lovely. Uh, what's coming up on the show today? I'm going to be talking about dog shows, not just any dog show, but the annual International Spring Spectacular Dog Show, which is being held here in Newcastle over the next few days. And you, Dr. Dave? Well, a little. Uh, we're going to do a little bit on food poisoning, a little bit on snake bite. We talked about it a few weeks ago, but we'll give an update for people. Pet Chat for a Wednesday afternoon, and joining us on the program is Dr. David Tabret and Cheryl Shaw. Also, as well, Ron. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Hi, Ron. It's Cheryl here. I was just um, going to introduce you. You're a very uh, busy man with um, being the All Breeds Judge for the Australian National Kennel Club. You're also President of the Cessnock Dog Club and President of Lake Macquarie All Breeds Kennel Club and the former Deputy Mayor of Cessnock. But something that's very special that um, you're organising at the moment is the International Spring Spectacular Dog Show. You're the events organiser. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happening, Ron? Oh, fine, absolutely. We've got um, uh, three days of shows over Friday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday being held at the Hillsborough Dog Show Ground. There are over 4,500 exhibits of dogs being judged by uh, eight international judges from all over the world. In fact, at the moment, I'm I'm travelling... uh, to the Lake Macquarie uh, Yacht Club with them for lunch with uh, several of them. Uh, and, uh, I mean, you know, that we've got um, uh, people from Guatemala, from uh, Cyprus, from Greece, from uh, Mexico, as a matter of fact, all over the world. And all of those people are uh, very world-renowned experts in uh, their field of dog judging. And so uh, we also will have, in those 4,500 dogs over the weekend, we'll have some of the top dogs in Australia being exhibited um, uh, for major awards and um, and major prizes. So it'll be a great atmosphere. There's, um, uh, there's, there's uh, uh, lots of exhibits for people to see, breeders to talk to about their dogs, and it'll be a fabulous uh, weekend. So I'd welcome people to come along. We start off at about 8 a.m. each morning, and we'll probably finish at about 9 or um, uh, 9 o'clock in the evening. So, Ron, people, anybody, you don't have to be a dog person to come along. You can come along if you're interested in a particular breed and have a chat with the, the breeders there. Would that be correct? Absolutely. You, uh, you, you can come along and just have a look. And uh, it's a great day for uh, families to come out um, uh, and, um, and, and see dogs and see, see the atmosphere as well. We've got a uh, DJ who will be operating over the weekend and we've got lots of uh, concession stands where if they want to purchase some uh, uh, extra special things for their favourite dog, they can uh, purchase them at the show. We have um, uh, vendors coming uh, from, from all over Australia as well and this is one of the biggest um, dog shows to be held outside of sydney is that what how come absolutely correct it's the um the only major international show that's held out of sydney um outside of sydney and we attract the biggest entry and we have done that for the last uh 10 to roughly somewhere between about 10 and 15 years um and the reason of course is that uh we have some international judges of great standing that um are judging over the weekend we have the the gentleman um from guatemala is president of the guatemalan kennel club and the um the the satoshi besho from japan is the president of the uh japanese kennel club and we've also got um, uh, uh, the president of the Cypriot Kennel Club as well. So uh, 
sometimes get their names sort of um, uh, a little wrong because uh, <laughs> uh, they're, they're, you know we've got a, a, a another gentleman um, uh, Athanasius Garavaldus from uh, Greece who um, uh, who runs the Mycenae Kennel Club. So a great variety of people, and that's what attracts in the judges what attracts so many people to come from almost every state in state and territory in Australia. So we've got exhibitors from Western Australia and exhibitors from Darwin. So oh, that's really wonderful to get such a, a vast number of people from all over Australia to come. And obviously, with the um, the judges are being um, recognised as being great to show under. Is this a championship show? Do they gain points for their their dogs at this show as well? Absolutely. There's a there's a possibility that a dog could start the weekend uh, as a non-champion, and if it won major awards at four of the shows, it could end up being an Australian champion at the end of the weekend. We actually also have a couple of specialties that are being judged on the Thursday throughout the day, and there's a, a Bichon-related breed stock club. There's um, a pug two two pug shows with a, a hundred different a uh, hundred pug entries on the day that will be there. And we also have two Boston Terrier shows at the same time. So it's actually, it, the, the weekend actually starts Thursday. It, it started for me about 12 months ago when I started <laughs> organising this event. Well, you know what? At the moment, Boston Terriers and Pugs are just so popular. So it's a really great opportunity for people to go out and um, purchase or, or to look at purchasing um, that particular breed. They can see what they're all about. Absolutely. That's, um, you know, bring the kids along and they'll have just a fantastic day because the dogs that are there uh, are all well-trained. And um, uh, all I have to say is to the people, if they wander around the grounds, if they come to the office and see me, I'll tell them where the particular breeds are and where they're being judged. But they can just wander around the grounds and speak to people. And the, the exhibitors that are there are always happy to talk to um uh, to, to people who come and want to, want to discuss the breed and tell them the pros and cons of, of dog ownership. Oh, that's really fantastic. The other thing, you've got um, junior handlers there. That's, that's great to watch and encourage the young children who are interested in this as well. Absolutely. That's first thing on the Saturday and on the Sunday morning. The first things that will be judged will be the junior handler classes. And uh, uh, we have age divisions starting at seven and going through to 18. Uh, uh, and uh, they um, uh, they are judged by uh, well-recognised handlers um, from around uh, New South Wales. And uh, uh, there are prizes on offer for the kids there and also some lovely ribbons and sashes. And they're tested on how well they can actually show the dogs rather than the dogs themselves being judged as happens in the rest of the show. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. That sounds really great, Ron. And, and for people to understand it, the dog show is basically a knockout competition. So you, you start the morning with uh, every dog getting a chance and um, uh, gradually as it winds down to the end of the show, um, there is a, a best of breed and then there is best in, seven best in groups chosen and then they come together to, to choose a best in show for that uh, show and there is a chance for um, six dogs to win best in show over the weekend because there are six uh, all breed shows over the three days. 
Oh, well, look, I wish you all well. It's going to be a wonderful show. Thank you for joining us today. And if anybody wants any more information, you can contact Dogs New South Wales at www.dognewsouthwales.org.au. That's, that, that's correct. They are the um, licensing body for purebred dogs in New South Wales, and uh, they uh, we are an affiliate of, of Dogs New South Wales, and they support the events uh, and ensure that everything is run fairly and smoothly and uh, that the judges are approved to judge. So. Uh. Um, yep, definitely contact Dogs New South Wales and uh, you can get some more information about it there. Well, thank you and I hope all goes well. Righto, I'm going to have lunch at the Lake Macquarie Yacht Club, so I, I think it's always this time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> thanks, Ron. See you, mate. Thanks so much for your time. It is Pet Chat. Joining us from Lake Monmora is Bob. Good afternoon, Bob. How are you? Oh, righty, righty. I didn't know. Actually, We're I quick here, mate. I thought it was my neighbour. <laughs> um, I... Uh-huh. I'm a very aged person. <laughs> That's okay. Now, what can we do for you, mate? Off the land. Back in the 40s, late 40s, early 50s, we on the land, we had there always dogs everywhere. Right. My father used to always purchase uh, a, a new arrival, a pup, but he, there were two conditions. One, he had to be examined, the full litter to start with, and second, he always had his calipers and measured them between the eyes. And his opinion was that the wider the eyes, the bigger the brain. Is there any truth in that? <laughs> Are we talking about people now or the dog, Bob? <laughs> measuring the dogs. <laughs> measuring the pups. Um, interestingly, uh, a lot of people talk about with the shape of the classical Australian cattle dog with their wide set, low set ears, that um, theoretically it's because if a cow strikes out to kick him the kick just goes straight between the ears so maybe that's what we're where that kind of story came from and because uh, cattle dogs are very smart so uh there may be some merit in that for certain breeds i think as far as generally for intelligence for dogs overall yeah. i think there was an occasional red one but most of them were, yep. were blue yeah the queenslanders the queensland blues there's a great variety of breed, uh, you know, dip variation within each breed, and I think overall we see very intelligent breeds and uh, uh, very intelligent dogs within breeds, and obviously the working dogs. My opinion about that is that it's the amount of work that you put in as an owner. If yeah. you are committed to them and you spend the time training, and look, when you talk to people, if you go to agility trials these days and you talk to the people about how much effort they put in to get the dog to work at that level. Oh, it's you know. unbelievable. Yeah, look, it's this hours. I realised in a later part of life that as a child I didn't understand anything, you know. Well, but, that's right. That goes for everything, of course. So um, I think that uh, the agility guys just tell us that you've got to spend hours a day and, and the dogs will respond. And I've seen people do agility with every single breed on the planet. So I think it's more to do with the intelligence of the owners and... Uh, rather than the dog, so... As we welcome your calls on 49216216, you can chat to Dr Dave. Uh, now, joining us on the phone from Brankston is Megan, and Megan, cleaning dogs' ears. Yeah, I just wanted to find out um, whether it's a good idea. My little dog is about 16 weeks old, and he's a Labrador cross collie rough. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to find out whether it's an idea to, to keep his ears clean or um, what I should be cleaning them with and um, signs to look out for whether there's infection or sort mm. of 
bonus with them. Well, generally with a, a dog of that age, I don't think you need to do too much at all. Um, yeah. I, I wouldn't be doing anything really as far as cleaning. That really shouldn't be a part of their overall care. And long-term, uh, even if we're talking about an adult dog, generally, yes, have a look at the ears, know what's normal, what's abnormal. But uh, for a lot of dogs, uh, the idea of regular cleaning is not necessary unless there are existing problems. And so the problems come back to the what we call the predisposing factors and then there's the trigger factors. So the predisposing factors could be breed-related. So, for instance, say... Um, poodles and little, uh, say, Shih Tzus and Maltese. Some dogs that have got hair in the ears or floppy ears is a problem as well. So we look at the ear shape and how much hair is down there can actually affect the ventilation. Uh, that raises humidity and that can predispose them later on to things like yeast infections. But then we also look at trigger factors. So dogs might develop uh, problems because they're allergic to things in the environment and the allergy comes in as a contact allergy on their feet and yet it's the ears that flare up because it's a reaction in the whole body and it just so happens that the ears are the area that has the most humidity so that's where we first see problems and for those dogs that have got this predisposition you would be aware um, as time goes on that that's a factor and then yes you might need to institute an ear cleaning protocol just to keep things under control but generally as a puppy it's not something you would do however there's one thing i would mention and if you go to puppy preschool this should be taught is that your dog should allow you to examine its ears just as it allows you to examine its feet its tail its mouth its eyes and that's an important thing so when you're doing handling of your puppy they often they'll get you to look in the ears it's not so much because we expect to see a problem now it's just we want to train your puppy to accept that examination um, okay. And that makes, let me tell you, that makes my job a lot easier when a dog comes in and then... <laughs> yeah, sure, know, sure. Um, um, so, look, if I looked at my puppy's ear, um, just at the, the top, like the, the soft flap, not actually inside the ear, he has got a few little um, red patches um, sort of on that sort of, what do you call it? Is yep. it a, it's is called it a the, pinner or... Yeah, that's yeah? right. It's called the yeah. pinner, P-I-N-N-A. Yep. Yeah. So just on one ear, it just seems to he just seems to have a few little um, sort of more irritated red patches, just just small. Um, so I wasn't sure whether that would be a problem or whether um, just to keep an eye on it, just to make sure that that's not going to flare up. They're not um, pussy or they're not sores. They're mm. just just little red red patches there um, on the on that well, part. With the uh, with the pinner, of course, covered in skin, so any skin problems that could come up elsewhere could just as easily come up on the ears. And as I said, sometimes that'll be the first place it shows up. So things like, um, say, a skin infection, a dermatitis, a ringworm could sometimes come up, which is actually a fungal infection. And it yeah. may be that that's the place it turns up. If it's on one side and not the other, it could be that he scratched the ear and just caused some redness. If it's there and it seems to be bothering him, I'd certainly get him checked out. And uh, when you go in for a vaccination or your next visit, ask the vet to have a look and see what's going on because it might, as you said, it may not be anything, but uh, just set, you know, get those things checked out before they turn into a problem down the track. All right, thanks oh. for your call. Ooh. All right, thank you so much for your no help. Worries. Thanks, Megan. You have a great day. All right, bye-bye. Thanks so much, Megan. We welcome your calls on 49216216. Now, food poisoning.
Well, look at this. It's a funny thing at this time of the year, and I, I reckon it's a spring thing, like most problems that show mm. up, uh, is that um, animals are kept inside and then they get out in the yard. And we see a few problems associated with dogs that have got into old garbage, mm. compost. And I had one came in the other day and uh, the dog had found a lunchbox in the garage and it turned out someone had probably left their school lunch there two years ago. Um, and the dog ate it and it presented with incredible tremors mm. all over. And this is a problem. It's called a mycotoxin. So on food that's mouldy, uh, some of the uh, moulds can actually produce a, a, a toxin that causes tremors. So we call it a tremorgenic mycotoxin. Yep. Um, the other thing we have seen, and I had a, pe- a pelican in just recently, unfortunately, passed away. We had very severe botulism. So botulinum toxin, which uh, comes from a clostridium bacteria in rotting food, uh, you know, vegetation and so on. And the reason we see it in pelicans is because uh, if you're a pelican, it's kind of hard to catch fresh fish. You know, you've got to go find them, you've got to swim in water, um, or you could just go over to the tip and poke around and probably get something to eat. So, unfortunately, over at the tip, of course, then they're exposed to the, the material that's been rotting. And mm. um, as distasteful as it sounds, they, they kind of do that, and then uh, the toxin paralyzes them. So botulism is actually where Botox comes from. Um, so it's like the pengu- uh, pelican, I keep saying penguin, the pelican has a massive Botox infusion, but it's... Uh, quite dangerous obviously and it will paralyze the whole body really jeez so we get these one hand these animals come in and they're paralyzed and they're just lying there and we see it in dogs and cats but they're they're a little more discerning with their palate Um, but then on the other hand we'll see the ones that eat the tremogenic toxins and they'll come in shaking and unfortunately for us i guess uh, as clinicians in diagnosing them is there's a lot of conditions that can actually make an animal shake whether it's meningitis or um there's uh, um snail bait there's a plant called brinsfelsia better known as yesterday today tomorrow and they all look pretty much the same and we've got to work out what's what and this is where we rely on people's uh, history and giving us the details of what they think their pet might have gotten into yeah, okay. Scraps, you know, after dinner scraps. Thoughts on that? Is same sort of thing or...? Uh, well, not in terms of uh, uh, poisoning generally because if it's come straight from the plate, I guess it's, um, you know, safe for people to eat. So hopefully that's not going to cause any problems. But sometimes uh, I think there's issues there around um, if you're feeding pets, uh, just make sure that they're getting um, a separate meal and uh, that's fine. Um, otherwise there's behaviour problems. Uh, and also no bones, no cooked bones, no cut bones. One of the things we see a lot of is dogs that get bones stuck in their system. Mm. So, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I just scrape off what's left. He gets his dry food, but then yeah. we get leftovers and, uh, you know, the T-bone goes in or the mm. lamb chops and uh, and then they end up at the vets in the middle of the night stuck in their chest and we've got to go down with a camera and pull it out. Yeah. So, Okay, all right. It's Pet Chat for a Wednesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Greg. Good afternoon. Mate, what can we do for you? I'm uh, looking at, uh, or I have a Maltese Shih Tzu, uh, 13-year-old, and she has Cushing's disease. Mm. And I wonder if there has been any new cures or something that, um, uh, you know, other than what's available at the moment to help her out. Is your dog on any medication, Greg? 
she has convulsions and she's on an anti-convulsion medication at the moment. All right. Is she on anything for the Cushing's? No. Okay. So, um, look, I, I've been around, been a vet for nearly 30 years and when we started there was some, um, there's a drug called Mitotane and what it did was, um, so I should backtrack, Cushing's disease for everybody else is where the body is producing too much cortisol and cortisone is involved in just about every system in your body um, and there's two main causes for it. Both of them are related to tumours in the body. So one is uh, where we get an adrenal tumour, the cortisol secreted from the adrenal gland and so the adrenal tumour just basically pumps it out. And the other one is they have a pituitary tumour in the brain, which is called a microadenoma. So it's actually um, just cells that are not responding to the feedback loop. So despite the fact that there's lots of cortisol and normally there's a feedback which shuts down more production, in the case of these dogs, they actually just keep producing it. And so it's, um, it's like we put the dog on massive doses of prednisolone every day for the rest of its life and that can be quite harmful so back when i started we had a drug called mitotane and it's very good it actually knocks out the adrenal glands and shuts down the uh, production of cortisol the problem is it tended to also knock out the other functions of the adrenal gland particularly the um, production of a hormone called aldosterone which is involved in sodium and potassium regulation through the kidneys so we moved on to a better drug called trilostane and that's been around now for probably um, I'm guessing maybe 10 or 15 years and uh, it seems to be certainly a lot better I don't know anybody who uses mitotane uh, now we all use trilostane it's a much better drug however it's not without side effects and so it's very important that in investigating this that you speak to your veterinarian about what options there are trilostane is a much safer drug to go with um, and dogs can live long and happy lives if they're well controlled with this um, we don't have enough time to go into the whole syndrome of Cushing's at this stage and perhaps that's a topic we'll tackle in a later show but um, talk to your vet trilostane's a good idea and if you have got a dog that's having seizures they're on medication you also have to make sure that the medications are compatible because uh, phenobarbitone which is used for seizure control can sometimes interfere with the function of um, other drugs in the body now to a new rfm's pet rescue of the week uh, now cheryl nice little poochie yeah look this is toby he's a gorgeous big lovable 18 month old ridgeback cross husky he's a big boy all right toby is very affectionate and he shows his love and cuddles and his very gentle temperament uh, he absolutely loves living with people, which is quite typical of a Ridgeback breed. He thrives on his family's time and is not suited to be being an only dog in the yard. Toby doesn't bark often, although he'll usually give a deep woof to let you know someone is around. He has begun basic training with his foster family, and because he is very treat-driven, he responds well. So this will make it easy for your training techniques. Toby is good with children. However, due to his size and his bounce and personality, we'd suggest that he be with older children from age 10 or teenagers um, that are used to larger dogs. He's best suited to have colour bond fence, fences that are over six foot, uh, as this breed is well known for their climbing skills. Toby is in foster care with another male doggy friend. They do get on, however, we feel he would be best suited to a fur, forever home with either a friendly female dog older than him and out of that puppy stage. Or he would thrive 
as an only dog as he would love that extra human attention. For more information or to meet stunning Toby, please contact his foster carer Alex on 0424352050 or you can view him on www.dogrescuenewcastle.com.au or we can go to our website. Yes, tonewrfm.com. Now, Mr Todd Sargent, uh, I don't know if you've uh, heard Todd's little snake incident. Is it week. suitable for radio? It is suitable for oh, radio. Oh, okay. I, yeah, all I know is sure. that he's just very scared of snakes, I believe. Uh, no. Yes. Yes, he doesn't. He doesn't give off that persona, so I'm surprised, I must say. <laughs> um, snakes, with, it's, we're coming into that yes. season where the snakes Absolutely. are out and about. Mm. What can we do? I, there's not a great deal we can really do, is there, I suppose, to prevent it from happening. No, but if not, it does happen, what do we do? So if, I guess the thing to understand is that... Um, our environment really we rely on uh, the whole balance of through the whole uh, food chain and snakes play a very important role and uh, as native animals we should treasure them and so on but understandably um, you know we're we're not top of the top of the uh, snake biting world Mm. for toxins without good reason we have extremely venomous and dangerous snakes but testament to the fact that most people are very careful and stay away is that we really don't have a high um, injury or fatality rate from snake bite so the thing is to remember is that most snakes almost all of them will not be able to see you unless you're moving they're relying on movement and so if you do actually i remember i was walking on sugarloaf one cent with my son who was about 18 months old and a snake uh, went between us he was walking three feet in front of me and a black snake went across the path between us and I just stopped still um, and my son walked on away from the snake um, but I was actually going to step on it if I wasn't careful. So the thing is you have to stop still. Snake will have a look around and move away. Most snakes will actually try to make an escape. They really don't want to have a, an interaction with a person or a dog, if you like, and however they are prepared to strike if they're threatened or they feel threatened, they don't have an escape route. Now, a lot of people ask about, you know, why are snakes coming out? Um, usually at, they're looking for food sources, they're looking for mating, so you'll find them around, particularly if you've got a you know, bit of a backyard chook situation or you've got mice around, something like that, but provides a ready food source, then snakes will turn up. Um, there's a whole lot of myths around snakes in the yards and things like that. Uh, my general advice is that um, with people approaching snakes or even trying to say, look, I'm going to get that snake, get it away from here, that's actually the highest risk. And if you talk to doctors at the MARTA and the John Hunter, almost every person who comes in bitten by a snake, it's because they were trying to uh, either kill the snake or remove the snake. There are trained professionals in this area to come and move snakes so mm-hmm. um obviously cool wires, yeah yeah well yeah. you can talk to the wildlife rescue and they'll actually have people who can come out and move the snake but of course if you've got a, a backyard chook situation and you, you know you've just got grain lying around then you need to look at how you're going to control the rodents because that's why the snakes will come in um interestingly i had a patient in the other day i was working in our clinic up at maitland and uh, we had a um a dog and it had actually a jack russell believe it or not he'd taken on a, a brown snake and um came in and he wasn't well and so he got some antivenine um his blood test showed that he still had very bad clotting factors in his blood they weren't working and we ran a snake venom kit on his urine sample after we give him the antivenine 
Now, we knew he had been bitten by a snake. Mm. It was visual, seen by the owners and so on. But we ran the test and it actually showed positive, which told us that he still had more venom in his system, even though he'd had one vial. And so we gave him a second vial and that, bang, he suddenly got better. Mm. Uh, looked fantastic and he went home a very happy and healthy boy. So, um, so keep good. If keep you've got good. a snake, yeah. pull wires and they'll sort it out for you. And if, if you're at, you know, keep your animals away because dogs, they'll just rush in to defend and they'll, yeah. you know, get involved with the snake. Mm. And generally the dogs come off second best, I have to say. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for today. Have a nice thanks, rest of your We'll catch you again next week. That has been 2NURFM's Pet Chat for our sponsor, Dog Overboard, the fun and healthy place for dogs.